turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. You know, the theme of this brand new year that we started together at Thrive Church is overcome. And see, why do we call the theme of this brand new year overcome? It's because every single one of us can point to something in our lives that we need to overcome this coming year. Maybe it's an issue in your marriage. Maybe it's an issue in your family. Maybe it's an issue in your finances. Maybe it's a health issue, your issue, or maybe someone you love. Uh, you know, maybe it's a secret habit that you're trying to kick this coming year. Maybe it's the past, something from the past that you're still trying to overcome this year. Maybe it's something where you're haunted by a struggle that you have and you are trying to overcome it this year. The fact is, the reason why we call this new year the year of overcome is because overcome represents the attitude with which we're going to tackle every situation we face this coming year. If you believe us, say amen. Is that no matter what challenges you're facing as an individual, no matter what challenges you might be facing in your family, no matter what challenges we face as a church this coming year, nothing is going to stop us from chasing after everything that God has for us. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. In the year of overcome, that's the attitude we're going to take on. And though the challenge that's in front of you right now might seem insurmountable, though the challenge that's in front of you might seem impossible, the fact is this. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. With Jesus, you can overcome. Turn neighbor and say, you were made to overcome. You were made to overcome, and that's why the theme of this brand new year is overcome. We're so excited for this brand new year. We have a saying here at Thrive, which is the best is yet to come, and we absolutely believe that, that in the year of overcome, the best really is yet to come. Now, if we're going to be overcomers this, kind of, this, kind of, this coming year, we want, we want to talk about what does that look like practically. Is that just being, oh, rah, 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 we can do it, it's just having a positive attitude? No, it's not just that. It's about developing the skills you need, having the wisdom you need, and having the relationships you need to overcome this coming year. That's what we've been unpacking so far in this month of September and into October. See, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the kind of church we want to be in this year of overcome. We've been talking about how we want to be a welcoming church, that being a welcoming church is not just what we do, it's who we are. Amen? It's, 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 turn your and say, it's not just what we do, it's who we are. Being a welcoming church is not just what we do, it's who we are. It's the DNA of Thrive Church. It's because we believe that how you welcome people into the church, especially new people, is a reflection of how much you welcome God into our church. Amen. And if you want God to move powerfully in your church, that means we want to be a welcoming church. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. When we welcome people, when we're a welcoming church, what that means also is that we are loving people the way that God first loved us. That how Jesus Christ welcomed us into his kingdom when we didn't deserve it, when we had no idea who he was, in the same way we want to welcome people, especially those who are new, because that's the love of God. If you believe us, say amen. Another thing we talked about was being a courageous church. How courage is not just about never feeling fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward even when you're scared. Courage is moving forward even when you are afraid. And so courage is one of the things we want to have as we go into this coming year as well. Last week we had Pastor Yang from our parent church, Torch Covenant Church here, and he talked about being a thankful church. How in every circumstance, even in the toughest circumstances, you want to intentionally choose an attitude of gratitude because when you do it helps you to overcome whatever it is that you're going through. Today we're going to learn one more aspect of the kind of people we want to be in the year of overcome. This, this one aspect is something we're going to learn from John chapter 4. Now if you've been going to church for a while, 
then you might hear people say, oh, turn to John chapter 4. And if you're like me, you immediately expect that whoever's talking is going to talk about worship. Because John chapter 4 is one of those seminal passages on worship. We're not going to be talking about worship this morning, although worship exactly is exactly what we're doing right now. Today we're going to learn something else from John chapter 4 that I've never heard preached on before. But it is so crucial to becoming the people that God wants us to be this coming year. Are you guys ready for God's word in this place this morning? Today we're talking about something very, very important. Let's look at John chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to ask the keyboardists to come back up on the stage. I'm going to ask all of you to stand up to your feet as well as we read God's word together. Would you rise up to the feet, to your feet right now? We're going to just read this passage together. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Why don't you read this with me in a big, loud voice. Let's read it together right now. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he had came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Before you take your seats, would you turn to the people around you, give them a high five and tell them the title to today's message. It's not, the, it's not a pickup line. It's the title to today's message. Would you turn to them, give them a high five and say, can you get me a drink? Can you get me a drink? Please have your seats. Please have your seats. Please have your seats. It's so good to have you here this morning. In this message that we're looking at in John chapter 4, I've entitled it, Can You Get Me a Drink? Because this is the question, an important question that Jesus asks a very special woman we're going to be learning about today. See, what's going on in this passage, John chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. See, Jesus, he has been so far spending a lot of time in a place called Judea. Everyone say Judea. And see, in Judea, there's the capital city of Jerusalem. In the capital city of Jerusalem, there's a temple. Jesus has been spending time in the temple. He's made some very important visits there. He's been having deep theological discussions with some of the Jewish religious leaders in Judea. A guy called Nicodemus, he has a very important conversation with him in Judea. There he speaks and utters the most famous statement in the Bible, John 3.16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then Jesus would then proceed from the temple in Jerusalem in Judea to the countryside of Judea, where he and his disciples are baptizing people in the river. They're baptizing so many people. So many people are coming to Jesus. Their lives being changed by his ministry. So many people come to Jesus, getting baptized by Jesus and his disciples, that people start to take notice. Other groups are starting to take notice. You know, John the Baptist, who was a famous minister as well, he and his disciples start taking notice. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, they start to 
take notice. And because of this, Jesus, he decides, I'm going to head back to Galilee. Let's not be in Judea anymore. Let's go back to Galilee to start to, to the place where I first started my ministry. Look at John chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. Read it with me. What does it say? It says, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. If you have Bibles in front of you, sometimes I'd like to ask you to underline or highlight passage of your Bible. That's how we remember God's word. Why don't you underline these words? He had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. See, if you were a Jew living back in Judea in Jesus' time, and you read verse 4, he had to go through Samaria, you would find that a really strange statement. Why is that? Well, let me show you a map of what Judea looks like. And the fact is, I don't show you maps very often. This map, in fact, looks a little bit like it was made in 1989 by a Mac computer. That's how pixelated it is. But let me just show it to you because it illustrates the point. See, what's going on here is this, is that Jesus is in Judea. He's been hanging out in Jerusalem. He's been, you know, by the Dead Sea. He's been baptizing people. And he decides, you know, I need to go back to Galilee, which is all the way up there. And so he's going to travel with his disciples from Judea to Galilee. And he says, I have to go through Samaria. Now, the thing is this. If you're a Jew living in Jesus' time, well, that's really strange. And there's a couple reasons for it. The first is this. is because there were two routes to get you from Judea to Galilee. The first route was to go from Jerusalem through Samaria and basically take a straight line. You go straight up to Galilee. That was the short route. But most people, if you were a Jew living at that time, most likely you would take a second route. You would go from Jerusalem, past the Jordan River, into Perea, and then you'd go around and you'd circle back to Galilee. You would take the long way around. And why is that? It's because back in Jesus' time, the society that Jesus lived in was full of racism full of segregation. Jewish people tried to do everything they could to avoid Samaria. They would take the long way around. Have you ever met someone that you didn't really like and you took the long way around to get around them? You, 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 take, you take the stairs instead of the elevator because you just don't want to see them? That's what the Jewish people would do with people in Samaria called Samaritans. They would take the long way around. And see, here's the thing. Samaria used to be inhabited mostly by Jews. But around 700 BC, 700 years before before Jesus was born, the king of Assyria, he comes, he conquers Samaria, he deports many of the leading Israelites and Jews in Samaria, away from Samaria, and then he imports a bunch of leading wealthy individuals and families from other nations, Babylon, Atha, all these different other nations. They bring them into Samaria, and they start to intermingle with the Jews living there. And what is the result? Mixed families. Well, as a result is that you've got people who are born into a mixed family where you've got on one hand maybe a, 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 you know, a Samaritan girl marrying a Babylonian guy you know, or, 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 or a, Jewish, a Jewish girl marrying a, you know, an Athathian guy. And you've got, you got mixed marriages, mixed families, and as a result, mixed cultures. And so you, you, if you were growing up as a Samaritan, you would be growing up on one hand believing in the Lord, believing there's a Messiah that is to come, reading certain Hebrew scriptures, but not all of them, but at the same time, you'd be worshiping other gods, maybe Babylonian gods or other gods from other nations. You wouldn't look, if you're in a Samaritan, you wouldn't look so much like a Jew. You wouldn't talk so much like a Jew. You wouldn't worship like a Jew. Maybe today you feel a little bit like a Samaritan. Is that you feel like you are straddling two different cultures at the same time. Is that you've got one foot in one culture, maybe the culture of your parents, and then you've got another foot 
foot in another culture, which is the culture of the place where you're living in. And you're not sometimes really sure which one do I belong to. Have you ever felt that way before? If you've ever felt that way before, then this message is for you as well. See, I, was, I, I sometimes feel like a Samaritan because I was born in Vancouver and I grew up here. In fact, I was born just a few blocks away at Richmond General Hospital. And I grew up playing hockey like a Canadian. I grew up eating McDonald's like a Canadian. I grew up listening to the Beatles like a Canadian. I, 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 you know, I, I had friends who were of all different colors and backgrounds, and it was great. At the same time, I'm also Chinese. My family immigrated from Asia. They spoke Fujianese, which is a dialect in China. Uh, you know, and, but we grew up speaking English. In fact, whenever my parents didn't want me and my sister to understand what they were saying, you know what they do? They speak in Mandarin. That's what they do, because we didn't understand any, because we were just kind of straddling two different cultures. We were on one hand living in Canada, a Chinese family, and so it was kind of like I got one foot in Chinese culture, I got one foot in Western culture, and I got to be honest with you, is that sometimes I didn't know which one I fit in. Sometimes I felt like, you know, I'm not really fully, you know, 100% Chinese that way. I'm not really fully 100% Western. Where do I fit in? It wasn't until I encountered Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ changed my life that I started to see where I fit in. It's not necessarily 100% in Chinese culture. It's not necessarily 100% in Western culture. It's in a place called the kingdom of God. It's that you, wherever you are, whatever background you come from, you might feel like you're a Samaritan who doesn't really fit either here or there. You fit in God's family. You fit in the kingdom of God. You fit in a place called God's love. Turn neighbor and say, with God, you always fit in. With God, you always fit in. And see, while the Samaritans were straddling two or more different cultures, the Jews would look at the Samaritans and they would think these Samaritans are these unclean deviants. Is that these are people who are just totally off the beaten track. And, and you know, we are the people of God. We are, you know, the, we are the worshipers of the true God. You guys are nothing. You guys are just confused, idol worshipers. They didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so if there were two men Major roots. Let's show that. that, that, that if, there, if there are two major roots going from Judea to Galilee, the fact is this: Why does verse four say that Jesus had to go through Samaria? It's not because there was only one route. It's not because people normally didn't have a choice. It's because Jesus had an agenda. Jesus was determined to show that God's love was not just for Jewish people. God's love is for all people. And that rather than going out of his way to avoid Samaritans, he actually went out of his way to get close to Samaritans. And what's the lesson here? You write this down. God's love is not bound by color, by culture, or by race. God's love is for everyone. Amen. See, right now, we're studying the life of Abraham in Genesis. Every day as a church, we're doing that. And if you, if you want to get in on that, I encourage you just to sign up. You can subscribe for my, my, my game time sharings where we're looking at the, the life of Abraham, the book of Genesis, every single day. And see, here's the thing, is that the life of Abraham is such an important life because his life would lead eventually to the birth of Jesus Christ. It would lead to the start of Christianity. In Genesis chapter 17, God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Get that? Nations. 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 Not just one nation, but nations. That means one family, many nations. That means God's family is not just one monolithic culture, one, one language, one people group, but it is a multinational, multicultural, multi-ethnic family. Amen. And that's what we are here at Thrive Church. Here at Thrive Church, and I've said it over and over this past month, is that we are not, when you look around the room, you might think, oh, wow, lots of Chinese people 
people, the fact is this, we are not a Chinese church that just so happens to speak English. We're not just a Chinese church that, that, that happens to have other nationalities worshiping with us. No, we are a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multiracial church because that is who we are. That's the kingdom of God. And we happen to have a lot of Chinese people because Vancouver has a lot of Chinese people. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. We are a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multiracial church. We are sisters and brothers from different cultures, different colors, different mothers. But spiritually, we've got the same father. Amen. So because God's love is for every person, because Jesus came for every person, regardless of their background, Jesus takes the road less traveled through Samaria. He goes through Samaria. He ends up in a town called Sakar, where there's a famous well called Jacob's Well. And Jesus, he's human. Jesus isn't just the son of God, but he's also, he's also human. He is tired from the journey. He sits by the well. There, as he's sitting by the well, he sees a Samaritan woman who approaches the well by herself. The Bible says, John 4 says, probably in the sixth hour. That means either 12 p.m. or 6 p.m. Scholars differ on that. But the fact is that very likely she came by herself. The fact is that a well was a place for socializing. That was a place where people congregated. The fact that she came by herself suggests that she was probably an outcast suggests that probably she didn't have many friends. And so she's coming by herself to, to, to this well to fill this big jar she's carrying with water. And that's when Jesus says to her in verse 7, read verse 7 with me, what does he say? He says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And then look at verse 9, what does it say? It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See, what's going on? Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman is shocked. Why? It's because she never expected that a Jewish man would speak to her. See, Jesus is breaking a whole bunch of different social conventions at this moment. See, first, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. You already established that. Second, I don't know if you know this, but back in Jesus' day, men didn't really talk to women in public. Even, there are even scholars who say that back in Jesus' day, men would hardly ever speak to their wives in public. And you might be married, no, I hardly speak to my wife in public. Well, that, that, that's, that's, not, that's not normal here, all right? That's, that, if, if you think that's normal, that's not normal. But, but back then, it was normal that if you were married, that you know, very, very often you wouldn't see husbands and wives speaking to one another on the street in public because that's just not something that they did. A third thing was that rabbis, Jewish religious teachers, didn't tend to speak to what people called the people of the land. These are working class people. They thought often that you know, they don't have the ability to understand the nuance and the finer points of our faith, and so I'm not going to talk to them. And so here is Jesus, who is a man, who is a Jew, who is a rabbi, and he overcomes all the racist and elitist social conventions of his day, and he speaks to the Samaritan woman who comes from a working class background whom he has never met, and the woman is shocked. He's like, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. What are you doing talking to me and asking me for a drink? What is Jesus doing? Jesus is being a bridge builder. He's being a bridge builder. See, what do I mean by a bridge builder? Why don't you write this down? When I say a bridge builder, what I mean is this. A bridge builder is someone who is willing to cross cultural and social barriers to reach people with God's love. That is a bridge builder. That is a bridge builder. A bridge builder is like Jesus, someone who is willing to go outside of their comfort zone to reach people that normally people, that normally people of his kind might not reach. And see, my question for you today is this. In your home, 
in your workplace, in your school, in your church, in your neighborhood? Are you a bridge builder? Are you someone who is willing to cross cultural barriers and social barriers and even your own comfort zone to reach people with the love of God? See, I believe that this coming year, in the year of overcome, is that God wants us to be a bridge-building church so that we can reach out, cross cultural barriers, social barriers, get out of our comfort zone so that we can deliver God's love to people in our city who need it. Amen. We don't just want to be a welcoming church, though that is not just who we are. That's not just what we do. It's who we are. We don't just want to be courageous. We don't just want to be thankful. We want to be bridge builders in our city. Turn neighbor and say, you were born to be a bridge builder. You were born to be in the bridge builder. I believe this with all my heart, is that if God placed you here in Vancouver, he made you for no matter how much time you're here on, on, on this earth, no matter how much time you're here in this city, you were made to be a bridge builder. This coming year, you're going to find this, is that you're going to meet people who are very different from you, personality-wise, you know, habit-wise, maybe even culturally or background-wise, and you have a choice. Either you can put up walls with that person, whether it's your, you know, it's, it's, it's someone living with you, or it's your classmate, you can put up walls with with them or you can build bridges with them. I believe this coming year God made you to be an overcomer by being a bridge builder. So let me ask this question today. How much do you go out of your way to befriend, to reach out to, to understand, and to love people in our city who are different from you, whether it's culturally or socially? How often do you do that? How much do you go out of your way to do that? Who is someone or who is a group of people that's different from you, whether it's in your home or in your neighborhood, where you know that God is saying, I want you to reach out to that person and love that person. Practically speaking, how do you and I become better at building bridges to people this coming year? We're going to talk about that right now. Let's do this right now. I hope you take some really good notes. When Jesus asked the woman, will you give me a drink? I believe there was some powerful things that Jesus was doing as he was making that statement. Three very subtle but very powerful things that Jesus was doing to build a bridge to that woman. And if we will do the same thing together with the people in our lives, especially people who might look different from us, who might act different from us, we will build bridges with them as well. Why don't you write this down? To build bridges with others, show them that they are valuable. To build bridges with others, show them that they are valuable. See, when Jesus asked the Samaritan woman, will you give me a drink? See, Jesus wasn't just asking for a drink. I believe Jesus was showing that this woman had value. See, you might wonder, well, Jesus, like, why did, why did Jesus say, uh, you know, give me a drink? Can you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? Why, why shouldn't he say, can I get you a drink? Or can I buy you a drink? Like, wouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't he say something to serve that girl? You know, and didn't Jesus himself say that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? Why then is Jesus asking to be served? Why is he asking this woman to serve him? You've got to understand this. In the context of this situation, you're going to see that Jesus asking the Samaritan woman to serve him was far more powerful than him offering to serve her in that moment. Why is that? It's because remember this, Jewish men, especially Jewish rabbis, were known for looking down on Samaritans, especially working class Samaritans. They saw Samaritans as spiritual deviants, they're culturally impure, they're functionally inferior, they're useless, they have nothing to do with them, they've got nothing to offer, and they would even, they even had this, this saying, that's, which is that don't use the same dish that a Samaritan person uses. That's what they would say. And, and it's because they, they thought that if you take a dish from a Samaritan person, they're unclean, you become unclean as well when you take the dish from them. And, and there was even a law that said, you know, treat Samaritan women as if they are constantly menstruating. 
and so you want to stay away from them and treat them as unclean. That's what, this, the, the, what there's one Jewish law that was, that was written to, to, to say that. And so when Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, asked this woman, hey, will you give me a drink? In other words, can I take that jar that's in your hands and take it and drink from it? What is he doing? He's showing that he's affirming that she has value. She's affirming that she has worth as a human being. She's, show, she's showing how highly he thinks of her. And see, Jesus asking for her help was even more powerful than Jesus offering to help her. Of course, later on, Jesus would offer to this woman the greatest, most important help that she could ever have. But that comes a little later on. In the meantime, Jesus says, can you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? Because she's showing him, he's showing her, you have value. You have equal value as any other human being, and therefore I'm happy to receive a drink from you. If you believe us, say amen. Likewise, if you want to build bridges with others, show them that they have value. Show them that they matter. And what, what does it start with? It just starts with being nice, being friendly. You know, smile. Say something like, you know, good morning. Greet the person. Say their name. Don't wait for them to go to you. You go to them. Ask yourself, what language of love can I use to speak to them? Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe you think of something that you appreciate about that person, and you go ahead and you tell them. You say, hey, I love your hair today. It looks great. You know, oh, I love your outfit. Where'd you get that? You, know, you did a great job when you sang this morning. Oh, you did an amazing job there. What, what is that? You're speaking words of encouragement to show them that they have value. In fact, John Maxwell, he says this. He says, He's got the 30-second rule, which is that in the first 30 seconds that you see a person, in that first 30 seconds of that conversation, say something nice or encouraging about that person. In doing so, what are you doing? You're building a bridge. In doing so, what are you doing? You're showing that they have value. You're showing that they matter. If you believe us, say amen. Maybe it's taking time just to listen to them and ask them, how are you doing? You know, what's, what's life like for you now? Have, be a good listener. Understand what they're going through. Maybe it's offering to serve them. It's like, hey, let me talk to the, we'll take you to the Welcome Center. Let's go and grab a water bottle for you. Maybe it's asking for their help and say, hey, can I get your advice on something? When you ask for someone for their involvement, their help, you're showing that you value them and what they have to say. Maybe it's just spending time getting to know them. Maybe it's sharing a secret with them and saying, hey, can I tell you a secret? And when you do that, when you tell someone a secret, you're saying, hey, I trust you. You're valuable, you're valuable to me. You matter to me. You're showing them that they are people have with value. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's an old adage, but I find it to be so true. You know, it, in high school, I, I went through an evangelism training class where we're supposed to go up to random strangers and never met them before, and, and we go up to them and go, hey, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? You know, have you have you heard of of of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And and you know, I think there's a lot of value in that. In fact, I learned so much from that. I gained some courage from doing that. I think there's value in that. But I find this is that people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And so what I often do nowadays is to build friendships first before I try sharing the gospel verbally with them. Is that throughout the year I'll be building friendships with unchurched people, people who don't go to church. I'll just you know ha spend time with them, hang out with them, you know, go for a drink with them, you know, go 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 exercise with them, you know, hang out, and, and we'll, we'll talk. And, and, and when the right time comes, when the, the right opportunity arises, we'll engage in a spiritual conversation or we'll offer to pray for them. Or when the big events at our church come, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, I'll say, hey, there's an amazing thing going on at our church. I'd love for you to come. Come and check it out. What am I doing? I'm showing that I value them. I'm not just seeing them as a project. I'm not just seeing them as someone I want to convert, but I'm seeing, seeing them as someone with value whom I love because God loves them. And when I do that, I have a better chance of reaching them with the love of God. If you believe us, say amen. Oh, come on. Give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen.
By the way, you know, when Jesus asks the Samaritan woman, can you get me a drink? Will you give me a drink? What is he doing? He's actually bestowing honor on her that she didn't have before. And the same way, let me tell you this. Whenever you are asked to serve Jesus' body, the church, consider it an honor. It's not an obligation. It's not a chore. It's an honor. It shows that you have worth and value in God's sight, that he would let you be part of his church and serve him, that he would let you be part of what he's doing in his kingdom. God didn't ask you to serve because he needs you and he can't live without you. He does it because he values you and he wants you to be involved. He gives you a job to do in his kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 40. Read it with me, big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Look, drop down to verse 37. What does it say? It says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Drop down to verse 40. What does it say? It says, The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. See, when Jesus' body was in need, Jesus asked the Samaritan woman, will you give me a drink? You know, lately we've been asking all of you here at Thrive Church to say yes to serving God in church. And it's because Jesus' body once again is in need. Jesus' body of the church is once again in need. And I believe when we're asking you guys to say, hey, say yes to serving. Use your talents to serve God. Be part of our prep team. Be part of our greeter team. Be part of our video team. By the way, we need more people in our video team to, 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 you know, to, to man the cameras that we, that, we, that we use in every service. And when we say that, it's not simply because, oh, you know, we, we, we just need people. But it's, it's to involve you in the kingdom of God. That's how you grow. Amen. And so when Jesus' body right now is in need, you can give him a drink. You can give Jesus' body a drink by serving with your talents and because God watches the way you serve other people. In fact, one of the greatest measures of your maturity as a Christian is not how much Bible you know, it's how you, will, how you serve other people. And so whenever you serve others, see it as you serving God. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, 24. 1, 2, 3, it says, it says, Whatever you do, working at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Maybe you're right now at work and you're kind of just questioning, what is the meaning of me doing all this work? What's the meaning of me being in this company? What's the meaning of me trying to help this business? What's the meaning of me doing all this schoolwork and social studies nine? Who cares about social studies nine? Like, why am I doing that right now? And, and the fact is this. Maybe you're a full-time parent, and sometimes you question, what am I doing? Am I, am, is, what am I doing if, is what I'm doing making any difference at all? Can I encourage you with this verse? If you're struggling to find meaning in your work or schooling, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. See it as you're not just... You're not just serving clients or customers. You're not just serving your boss. Or you're not just pleasing your teacher, but you are serving God with what you do. When you do that, what you do takes on a new significance, a new value, and you'll find that you can worship God even through Social Studies 9. You can worship God even through the work that you do in your company because when you do that with an attitude of gratitude and an attitude of worship, it becomes service unto God. You're giving God a drink. Amen. Amen. That's the first point, is that if you want to build bridges with others, show them that they've got value. Number two, to build bridges with others, show them you are human and vulnerable. See, when Jesus asked the woman, will you give me a drink? He was showing that he was vulnerable. He was exposing a need that he had. He was showing that he was human. Why? 
It's because when you come across to people as nothing more than Superman or Wonder Woman, and you never have a need, you never have any weaknesses, you never make a mistake, that doesn't draw people to you. In fact, it actually pushes people away. It's because either this person is way too perfect for me to relate to, or they're hiding something and they don't want to tell me. And so I can't really get close to them. And so if you want to build bridges with others, don't be afraid to open yourself up and to show that you are human and that you are vulnerable. For example, this past week, I was joining, visiting a small group. It was one of, the, one of these great small groups that we have here at Thrive. You've got to be in a small group if you want to be here at Thrive. Make sure you are. See, I shared with a group of guys this past week in small group about a way that I really felt like I messed up and, and failed this past week is that a couple weeks ago I was talking about courage. How courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is you going forward even when you're scared. And I, I shared with them this, and I'll share it with you today, is that you know I, I have this group of guys that don't go to church. They're, they're my friends, but I'm trying to reach them right now. And, 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 and so we'll, we'll hang out once a week together. And uh, you know I remember there was one day when, when we're supposed to go exercise together, and, uh, and I, no one could make it, only me. And so I, I went for a run by myself, and then I, I thought, okay, I'm going to send them a text. And I, I said, you know, hey, had a, had a solo run today. Missed you guys. And I, I, I added one more sentence. I was like, oh, thank God for the sunshine. And then I was like, oh. Because I, I was like, you know, you want to be, well, I, I, that's, that's honestly how I felt. I, I was thankful for the sunshine, thankful for the day. But then for some reason, some, somehow this fear came over me. I'm like, what, what, what if that's too much? What, what if, what, what if, and, and thank God for the sunshine. That's, that's nothing. It's a general statement. It's like it's a general statement about, you know, and, and a lot of people say, people who, who don't believe in God will say that as well sometimes. And, and I was like, but what, 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 if, what if they think that's too much? Well, I don't want to be too overboard on that. And so you know what? I, I wrote it. Thank God for the sunshine. I'm like, oh, I'm sitting in my car. I'm like, oh, sure. Oh, oh delete, 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 delete. Okay. And, and, and I sent another message. And then, and then I look back as I'm driving. I'm like, why did I not say that? Man, like, what, what, what's wrong with me? And I thought to myself, I was overthinking it way too much. Next time, I'm definitely going to say it. Amen? But see, here's the thing. is The reason I shared that with my small group, and the reason I'm sharing that with you guys, is because I don't want you to think that I'm some, some kind of Superman who never makes a mistake, who's always got it together, who's the spiritual giant. The fact is this, is that when, you, when I share about stuff in my life that's not pretty, it hopefully helps you to see, yeah, this guy makes the same mistakes that I do. This guy goes the same struggles that I do. What is that hopefully doing? It's hopefully building a bridge. Amen? And see, that's why every time I preach, one thing I'll ask myself is this. What is one sin that I can confess to you guys? What is one way that I failed this past week or in this past recent little time that I can share with you guys? It's because I'm finding this, that people would rather follow a leader who is real than a leader who thinks he's always right. Amen? And so with that in mind, to build bridges with others, show them that you're human and you're vulnerable. Turn your neighbor, give them a high five and say, I'm human. I'm human. Yes. Praise God. The other person's probably, I know that already. Praise God. But see, here's the thing. How about you? When it comes to your relationships and the people that you're trying to lead, maybe in your home or in your company or on your team, are you someone who's willing to open up about your weaknesses? Are you someone who's willing to admit your mistakes? Are you willing to be someone who's, who's, who, who will talk not just about the, the, the successes you've experienced, but also the struggles you experience? Do you apologize when you make a mistake? See, maybe you're the type of person to think, oh, I, I can't share Jesus with others because look at my life. I'm so messed up. I've still got all this brokenness in me. I find this, is that when you open up about the ways that you're broken, when you're real with other people about your struggle, you actually build bridges with them. You don't push them away. And so almost treat your weaknesses as an opportunity to see God's strength. Amen? 
when you come across as having it all put together, there's nothing wrong with you, then you end up putting up walls instead of bridges with other people. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. What does it say? Read it with me. 1, 2, 3, it says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. If you have, if you have your Bibles in front of you, why don't you underline those words, but our lives as well. See, the Apostle Paul, he's a missionary. He's sharing the gospel of God with the people in Thessalonica. That's why it's called 1 Thessalonians. And Paul is saying, we didn't just share the gospel with you, the truth of God's word with you, but we also shared our lives with you as well. So showing that we're human, we're vulnerable as well, because that's how you build a bridge. Number three, and we're going to close. To build bridges with others, establish common ground, and be inclusive. See, notice this. Jesus took the initiative to reach this woman. He didn't wait for this woman to reach him and say, oh, if, if, if she says hi, then I'll say hi back. Or if she's nice to me, then I'll be nice to her. No, he took the initiative to establish common ground with her. And he, he took the initiative to be inclusive of her. See, today we're holding for the first time uh, what we call the married lunch. And this is an opportunity for all the different newly married couples in the church and young families to get together for just a really casual time of eating together, hanging out together. And well, there's was, there was going to be a talk on marriage, a chance to pray together as well. And you're going to find this. We used to do this long, long time ago when we had maybe five couples in the church. And it was in our house. We don't have that kind of room anymore. And so we're going to see lots of married couples this, kind of, this, this, this afternoon. And at the married lunch, if you're going, you're going to find this. Is you're going to meet people there that you know well. And you're going to meet people there that you don't know well at all. And, and some might speak the same language as you. Some might not. Some might you know, be really different from you. But can I encourage you to do this? When you go to the married lunch, be a bridge builder. Amen. Don't just stay in your own circle of friends who you already know. Don't just stay in your comfort zone, but build a bridge to someone you don't know as well. Establish common ground. Such as, you know, when, I, when I'm in a group with other people, maybe at a dinner table, and, and it's all these different people who might not know each other very well, one of the things I'm asking myself is, you know, what is something we can all talk about? What is common ground, a common denominator that we can all talk about? Something that's relatively safe but fun to talk about that we can talk about together. That's building a bridge. Say you're out in the foyer or you're in a small group. And, you know, in that small group, there, there's a language that's common to everyone. But then there's also language that's common to just a few. And, and if, if you find, for example, that English is the common language for everyone. But then there's a few of you and your friends you love to talk in Mandarin. Can I encourage you to do this? Because one of the best ways you can build a bridge is to speak the language that everyone understands. Amen? It's to speak the language that's common to everyone. It's common ground. Of course, when you're on your own, you can speak in that other language. That's fantastic. That's great. But when you're all together, if you want to be like Jesus, speak the language that builds common ground. Build a bridge. Don't put up a wall. Amen. If some people in the group that you're talking to just don't get it and they continue to talk in that language while other people are kind of, oh, what are they talking about? Can I encourage you to do this? You start talking in the language that's common to everyone. You start talking the language that everyone understands. And if they still don't get that hint, if they're still like, oh, you know, we'll just continue to talk in that language, can I give you one more hint that you can give to them? You can say to them in that same language that they understand, but maybe not everyone understands. You can say, if it's in Mandarin, you know, Right? That's, uh, that's, you know, can't, that, that's, that's my very Canadian broken Mandarin of saying, can we speak some English, please? Or if, if you're, maybe it's a Cantonese-speaking uh, group that you're trying to reach, and, and there's, there's, there's English people there as well, and, and you can say, uh, uh, <laughs> That was the worst 
Cantonese you've ever heard by human, that, that human ears have ever heard. But the fact is, what are you saying? Hey, let's speak, let's speak English. Let's build a bridge. Amen. You, you, maybe, maybe there's some, some people who only speak French. You can say, hey, voulez-vous parler anglais avec moi? Right? It's, it's, what, you, what you're doing, you're building a bridge. You're say, build a bridge. Build a bridge. Look, don't just look at the friend that you're always talking to, but look around you. Have your radar open and say, hey, what else is going on? How can I build a bridge and be inclusive and establish common ground? That's why here at church, even here at our services, we use language that hopefully everyone understands. We don't say stuff like, dear brothers and sisters, we'll so we rejoice that here on the Lord's Day, we're here to fellowship with you. you know, like, what? Fellow- what's fellowship? What, what, what's that? Like, like, brothers and sisters, what are you just talking about? You guys aren't related. See, there, there, there's... There's this idea that we want to make every person here, people who've never been to church before, people who have no idea who Jesus is, we want them to feel included, accepted, feel that they're welcome, and we do that not by putting up walls, we do that by building bridges. Come on, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. Amen. So don't get me wrong, I don't mean that you can't be close friends with someone of the same culture as you, of course not. But it's about being like Jesus. And you may be, well, but Jesus, but, but JB, I just can't be myself. Well, tell you what, as your pastor, I got to tell you this. You know, I want you to be yourself, but I even more want you to be like Jesus. And to the extent that there's a discrepancy between yourself and Jesus, I got to tell you, forget about yourself, follow Jesus. Jesus himself says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. Follow Jesus in the way you build bridges, everyone. Let's recap today. If you want to build bridges with others, three things we want to do that we learn from Jesus saying to this woman, can you give me a drink? Number one, to build bridges with others, show them that they're valuable. Number two, to build bridges with others, show that you are human and vulnerable. Number three, to build bridges with others, establish common ground and be inclusive. For some of you today, that's exactly what you need to be doing with someone living in your home right now in your home, not just, let alone like people outside, in your home, that's what you need to do with that person around you. You gotta start, start establishing common ground. You start to, need to start showing them that you value them instead of criticizing them all the time. It's time to build bridges with other people. Finally, look at verse 10 with me together. Verse 10, what does it say? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would, give him, he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, who's the gift of God? It's Jesus himself. It's not something we can earn. It's what God gave to us simply because he loves us. He gave us Jesus Christ. It is he who asked the woman for a drink. And if we would ask him, he would give us living water. You know, the same three things that we've been learning today about building bridges, the same three things that Jesus did to build bridges with that Samaritan woman, he did for us as well. To show us that we have value. To show that he is vulnerable to show that he is establishing a common ground with us. What did Jesus do? He didn't just ask us for a drink. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died to pay for all of our sins. When we had no way of reaching God because of our sin, Jesus built a bridge over our sin so that we could be connected with God once again. Jesus is the ultimate bridge builder. And if you would follow Jesus in this way, it'll bring benefit to your relationships. It'll bring benefit to your ability to love people and make an impact wherever you are. And Jesus, with him, there is living water. If you don't know what that is, if you're not really sure, if you're experiencing living water right now, can I encourage you, there's one more thing you can do today. Register for TDS too. 
thrive deceptible school level two i don't have time to go through the tons and tons of different feedback we've received from people saying how they've experienced more of god's living water the holy spirit in their lives and so i encourage you do not miss this opportunity do not waste this moment make the most of the opportunity to sign up for tds2 the reason why we charge for it is because you own what you pay for and so i encourage you to charge for it. i encourage you to pay for it I encourage you to register for it if finances is an issue for you you can talk to to us we can we, we can work that out but the fact is that we want to encourage every single person to experience the living water that comes from the love of God and his Holy Spirit working in our lives. Not something that we earned, it is the gift of God. Come on, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. Would you stand to your feet, turn neighbors on your right and your left, give them a high five and say, I'm going to build some bridges.